You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 1. We'll be in verses 15 through 20. If you're new here, my name is Jamin Roller. I'm one of the pastors. Welcome uh, to Citizens. We are thrilled that you're here. If you're joining online, thank you so much. Uh, It's a special day. Two years ago, we were commissioned by the Village Church to become Citizens Church, which means we turn two today. So happy birthday, Citizens Church. I hope this is not the beginning of the terrible twos for us. I think we hit that early, actually. <laughs> Tonight, um, would love for you to come back and celebrate at 5.30. We'll have a night of worship. Uh, Molly has put together an incredible service. We're bringing the choir back. Uh, we'll have times of testimony. And then we also uh, will have donuts. We're bringing the donut wall back. So nothing says, thank you, God, like donuts for dinner. So um, <clears throat> if I could, maybe this morning will be a little different than most sermons are. Because uh, there's a lot to share and a lot to say. But the first thing would just be that um, I love our church. Um, I love Citizens Church. Um, sorry, I'm still emotional from the Cowboys' loss. Uh, <laughs> I learned to love Jesus in my home growing up. I learned to love the Word of God at Criswell College. And I learned to love the people of God here um, with you. And I love our church. If, if God will let me, goodness, if God will let me, I would love for this to be it for me, to, um, to get to pastor here for decades I don't know if you've noticed, but I have a few decades left, Um, I hope. Um, And I would love for all of them to be here. I really would. I love our church, but I don't just love being one of the ones who leads our church. I love being a member here. Uh, I love that my kids are growing up here. Uh, I love worship here. I love learning from the godly and gifted women and men who serve here. Uh, If truly, if the elders fired me as pastor on a Saturday night, I would be here as a member on a Sunday morning. Um, I wouldn't speak to any of the elders, obviously. <laughs> wouldn't even make eye contact with them, but, uh, but I would be here. I love our church. Uh, I love what the Lord is doing right now in our church. It's a, this has maybe been hard to see because of how disrupted things have been, but it's a really sweet season here at Citizens. Uh, it's a season of blessing here. Uh, I, I know it's a difficult season for many, and we have many challenges here still, but mixed into all that is a special work that God seems to be, to be doing here. And that, I don't say that because we've grown numerically. In fact, we haven't. Since 2013, we've uh, decreased significantly. Since 2018, we've decreased significantly in our attendance. And so when I say sweet season here, I don't think of a number, or I don't think of like any one impressive data point. I think of stories. I think of faces. I think of... Uh, the conversation I had with a single mom a few weeks ago who says, you know, we've been looking and looking for a church and since the day we walked here, walked in here, we knew we had a home. I think about the member who is ministering to her widowed neighbor who finally agreed to read the Bible with her for the first time. I think about all the members who disagreed with so many decisions that we made in the last 18 months and responded to that disagreement by being honest about those disagreements and then love this place enough to move in closer 
even though there's disagreement. Love this place enough to not distance, to not bail, to not cancel us, but moved in closer because they know the mission of the church and the unity we have in Jesus is so much bigger and stronger than the things that divide us. In a world that has no clue how to disagree without demonizing, our ability to do that together means the world to us, and it's such a witness of the presence of Jesus among us. I think about... I think about the families here who have suffered, who have gotten the worst news and have walked and are walking through their worst nightmare, and at the same time believe in their suffering that Jesus is enough, hoped in him, not only that, but, but desire that God would use their pain and use their loss to bring about beauty and to bring about glory for God, and that's true about so many of you. And look, it's one thing to be a church that preaches that and says that. It's a whole other thing to be a church where people have lived through that and held on to that. Listen, to the faithful sufferers among us, what you have done for us as a church is your faithful suffering. You have pulled heaven closer to us. You have pulled the kingdom of God nearer to us through your hope and your perseverance. Thank you. Thank you. We are better because you refuse to grow bitter and you have modeled for us what it looks like to believe that life can be hard and God can be good and Jesus can be close all at the same time. I think about our celebration service a couple weeks ago, all the new life that God has brought and saving children and God saving adults and breaking addiction and granting new life and moms and dads baptizing sons and daughters and brothers baptizing brothers and wives baptizing husbands. I think about the ministries that I have so much confidence in here to make disciples. I think about our faithful group leaders, our faithful recovery leaders, the men and women who teach and serve our children every single Sunday, our new ministries like college and young adults, the missionaries that we've sent out and on and on and on. I love our church. The Lord has been so good to us. And if you know our story at all, you know that we have gotten to whatever season this is by way of a lot of crisis and a lot of pain, a lot of change, long seasons of sifting, lots of reasons to think that we shouldn't still be here. In the citizen story, the last few chapters have been really hard, um, but God has sustained us. God decided he wanted this church in this place at this time and he decided that no power of hell would bring her down because King Jesus would not let her fall. And I would not have written our story the same way, but if it took the last few chapters to get to this place, I would do it all over again because in our weakness, I have seen God provide and shout his love for this place and strip away and be near so that the only honest response for anything good here is God, you and you alone get all the credit, all glory and honor and praise be to you, King Jesus. Happy birthday, church. For five weeks, starting today, we're going to talk about our church. Um, we're starting a series called Belonging, and it's all about the church. It's all about specifically our church, citizens. So if you're new here, welcome. Uh, a lot of this already has been and will continue to be a bit of a family conversation. Um, so you might feel a little bit lost or there might be things that, that we say that you're not really sure of the context of that, but it's also a really perfect time for you to be here if you're wondering who we are and what it looks like to belong here. There's two things that are going to mark these five weeks. Um, the first is a member renewal. I want to take some time to talk about that because it's really important. 
Uh, over these five weeks, we are asking, inviting all of our members to renew their membership. So members starting about two hours ago, um, you can go to uh, the belonging page on our brand new website. So if you just go to citizenschurch.com, hit the belonging tab, uh, and you can complete a five-question member renewal. Um, and that's what the renewal is. You don't have to go back through the class or anything like that. It's five questions. Do you affirm our mission and values, which we just talked about in that video, which we'll continue talking about? Um, do you uh, agree with our statement of faith? Do you affirm the responsibilities of elders and the responsibilities of members? And basically, do you still want to be a member? Uh, we're inviting all of our members to do that. Uh, maybe you want to wait a few weeks into the series to kind of hear us unpack a few more things. That's great. If you're not a member, our next membership class is on October 10th. And we would love for you to become a member. Membership uh, is not uh, a way to differentiate between the special people and the not special people here. Uh, membership is just our way to formalize our commitment to one another and formalize belonging to a church. So you're welcome, as, if you're not a member, you're welcome to participate, worship here. Um, membership, though, for us is a mechanism of commitment and accountability that helps us be together what God intends for us to be together. And we'd love for you to be a part of that. We'd love to answer any questions you might have about that. But here, church, here's why we need the renewal right now. If you go back to the summer of 2018 here, when we were a campus of the Village Church, it has been one major season of change and transition that has rolled into another major season of change and transition. Uh, summer of 2018, we changed buildings. That was the beginning of a lot of change for us. Uh, God provided this building, which was twice the size of the building that we were meeting in. Um, so grateful for his provision in that. I'm so grateful for your generosity in that, the way that you gave, the way that you served. Some of you helped us paint the foyer before our first Sunday here, if you remember that. Uh, we have since repainted it. Um, <laughs> painting's not your primary gifting, and that's okay, but we appreciate the way you serve. Um, our first Sunday in this space, July 15th, 2018. How many of you were here for that? Very first Sunday? We discovered around then that about like half the AC units in here didn't work, which was awesome mid-July. Um, in that time frame, here's all the things that happened. We moved locations. Uh, we canceled our Saturday night services. Uh, we changed service times. We sent a uh, hundred or so people to go plant mosaic in Richardson, which is thriving still, praise God. That's a lot of change for a little church, a campus. What happened from there is that rolled into a season of campus transition, which rolled into a season of being a new church with some really difficult days, which rolled right into a global pandemic and social unrest and all that we've all lived through the last 18 months, which brings us to now. That's been the last three years for us. Um, again, God has been so kind. The headline of our church is not people in crisis. The headline of our church is people sustained by a constant, loving, generous Savior. But in all that change, in all that movement, if I could be honest, it just feels like we've been a bit scattered. Um, some of that's just the natural consequence of what's happened the last 18 months. Some of that's just the natural consequence of change. There's a core people here for sure who are present, who are serving. Thank you. I love you. Then there are several layers outside of that core where it's just been harder to know who's here and who's not, who belongs and who doesn't. Um, I've told our team, our staff, our elders this a few times. Uh, I know where we are going. I'm not sure who all is coming with us, right? Uh, there's a statistic floating around the pastor world right now that because of the times that we're in, the average church can be broken up into thirds. 
if you, if you look at the people and consider what has happened since March of 2020 till now, a third of the church has left in that time. A third are more committed than they've ever been. And a third are trying to make up their mind about what they're going to do. Are they going to make a church change? Are they going to do the online thing for a long time? Are they going to, is church going to even be part of their life at all, right? In all that disruption. And that's all tied up into the change and the controversy of the season. Here's what I would say for us. That has been true here for three years. That that, when, when I hear those categories, a third, a third, a third, that immediately resonates as something that began here at least in 2013, right? So there is a need here at Citizens. Um, there's a need for us, the elders, the staff, the leaders, there's a desire to offer a clear invitation to belong by way of member renewal, to gather maybe a people that are a bit scattered. First, First Peter 5 commands elders to shepherd the flock among you. And that's only possible to do if we know who is among us, right? The part of the series in the renewal is that expression, our elders' expression of caring uh, and believing that that's to be our role, knowing the congregation is our role. Would you hear something? Um, what the member renewal is not, it's not some passive aggressive way to make anyone feel bad about their attendance at church or a passive aggressive way to make anyone feel bad about their participation or anything like that. It's been constant change for all of us. It has been constant challenge for so many. I have no interest ever, but especially now, I have no interest in trying to pressure people with guilt. That's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is to win people with grace and truth. So maybe you've been doing the best you can in these past however long, and the member renewal will give you an opportunity to say, hey, we're still here. Maybe you have questions about things that have happened here, decisions made here, and, and, and you haven't known when or how to ask those questions, and the renewal will give you an opportunity to do that. We welcome all that. Our heart in a member renewal is to discover, to get a clear picture of who calls this place home so that the pastors, elders, ministers, leaders, and members here might be faithful to our family. That's all. Um, that's live right now. I'll give more instruction about that at the end of service. The other thing we'll do in these five weeks is we'll walk through our five values. They're about to be on the screen behind me, and we're going to spend a week on each. So the video that started, the, uh, that we just watched before I came up here, was just to tie in our mission and values and how we make disciples here at Citizens and our gatherings and our communities and our classes. And so the series is going to be taking a dive into these five values. It's life in Christ. Word of God, people of presence, whole person discipleship, and living on mission. That's new language, but we're a two-year-old church. We're a seven-year-old congregation, and so these are not new realities here, right? These are things that capture, this is language that captures things that, that I believe we collectively value as a church, want to continue to value as a church. These are the things that we love. These are the things that we aspire to be. These are the truths that fill every single ministry space here at Citizens Church, and we're going to spend a week walking through each of them just to remember together what this is all about. Here is why these values at this moment are so important. Most mornings in the roller house, uh, Carrie is up first with Ayla, our youngest, and she gets Ayla's milk, and then Carrie will go over and she'll turn on her espresso machine. She uh, has this really nice espresso machine that was a gift from some of our friends. They said it was a gift to both of us, but I don't drink lattes, I drink real coffee, so uh, it's Carrie's espresso machine. 
Uh, every, that was unnecessary, I'm so sorry. Um, every now and then, I guess it's every three or four months, when Carrie turns on the machine, uh, a little message pops up and says that it's time to descale the machine. Are you familiar with that? Have you ever done that? If you have a coffee maker, you, you need to. Um, descaling is a kind of cleaning that you do to make the machine work properly. And so what happens is, is as water runs through your coffee maker every single time you make coffee, there's uh, minerals like calcium and magnesium that build up in the machine. And those minerals do two things. They will affect the taste of your coffee. They affect the, the purity of the cup of coffee. And then over time, those minerals can actually erode the internal parts of the coffee maker to where eventually it'll break down and it won't work anymore, right? Now, that's all according to Google. If that's not true, I don't care. Um, <laughs> assuming it is true, the process of descaling then is when you flush the, the system. You put liquid in there, different kinds of liquids in there to, to flush out the mineral buildup to protect the purity of the coffee maker, to flush out the buildup so that it doesn't corrode and protect the, the, the functioning of the machine, right? It's these things that are inside the coffee maker that threaten the coffee maker, so you have to flush it out. One of the things that the last 18 months has exposed about at least our cultural beliefs about church, our cultural posture towards church, is that there has been a lot of corrosive buildup within the church that has been exposed. Uh, what has been exposed is how distorted a view of church so many have. Like the conferences being hosted for church leaders are all about how to lead in the midst of insane dysfunction, how to keep your sanity, how to not quit ministry. Because what the past season has exposed are beliefs about church from within the church that have built up on the internal parts that affect the faithful functioning of church. These corrosive beliefs that have built up about, about God's design for church that's not God's design for church that are more informed by cultural stories than the biblical stories. There's things that from within, the threats within are always more dangerous than the threats outside of church. That has always been true in the story of God for the people of God. And there is this buildup that needs to be flushed out because it's so corrosive. And while I don't truly, with all my heart, I don't think there's much of that here. Again, I love our church. It's a sweet season. God has blessed and protected us. At the same time, it is good and right to be reminded together what this is all about. It's good and right to ask of God that purifying waters would flow and flush out anything that exists among us that might threaten the purity and faithfulness. So I want to name three distortions that have been exposed about church, about our posture towards church. These are distorted views of church that threaten the purity and faithfulness of church. One, that church is political, not theological. We define ourselves by our politics, not our theology. That's a distortion. Maybe, maybe one of the most disheartening things about the past year and a half was this thing that happened where so many decisions made by our church were interpreted by some or perceived by some as political statements. Beloved, we don't make political statements here. We make theological ones. Does our theology inform our politics? Absolutely. Does our theology fit neatly into a complex, political, complicated landscape? No. Is the role of the church to pick a political side? No. 
There is this incredible scene in Joshua chapter five, right before they fight the battle of Jericho. Joshua leads the army of Israel. They're about to attack their enemies. And Joshua runs into this man with a drawn sword. And he's not a man, he's an angel. He's God's warrior. He is impressive and he's threatening. And so Joshua asks him a really important, really natural question. Uh, Are you for us or for our enemies? He says, are you on our side or are you on our enemy's side? You know what the angel says? This is Joshua, the commander of God's people, the leader of God's people, talking to an angel who is God's angel, God's warrior. Joshua says, are you on our side or on our enemy's side? The angel says this, neither. I'm on neither side. As the commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. Take off your sandals for the ground you're on is holy. That's his response to the side-taking question. Joshua falls on his face. The angel says, God does not operate in taking sides. He is in a category all on his own. The the question is not, is he on our side or on their side? The question is, what's your response to God? Are you on God's side? And what's the posture of the one who's on God's side? On your face in reverent worship. So Joshua puts down his sword and he takes off his shoes and he worships God. And his worry about the battle gives way to being overwhelmed by the holiness and majesty of God. In a world of side-taking, in political posturing, the posture of the church is first and foremost reverent worship of a holy God. We are on his side. When I read my Bible and I see King Jesus in the invitation of the kingdom, I just see the role of the church being so much more beautiful and compelling than fighting a conservative culture war. That's not why we exist. And yes, I would say that personally I am more conservative than not, but the church has not been given the weapons of the world to fight cultural wars. We have been given the weapon of the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And the church takes kingdom ground through local faithful work and love of neighbor and being more defined in the church by what unites us than what we disagree about and more defined by the unity of our theology than the differences in our politics. We are a theological people and a gospel people and a missional people and a Christ-conforming people, not a political one. Two, the church, this is another distortion that's been exposed. The church is supplemental, not essential. Uh, The church is a supplemental part of my relationship with God as a Christian. Uh, There are uh, vitamins that I'll take occasionally. Uh, Like if I'm feeling like I need a little extra help in my health, Um, like vitamin D or vitamin C tablets. I don't always take them. I just take them if I'm feeling like low or like maybe something's coming on. So they're not part of my regular diet. They're kind of a supplement to my diet whenever the circumstances kind of call for it. And a lot of people think church is like that. Uh, It's good for a spiritual hit every now and then. If marriage feels a bit strained, maybe we need some church. Uh, Maybe we need to, uh, if the week frees up and there's nothing really going on, then maybe that's the week to go to home group, right? And it's this thing that's always there if you need it because it's just a supplement to my life. That's a distortion, my friend. That's mineral buildup that will corrode in your relationship with God. Church is not supplemental, it's essential. You will not find a single example in scripture of a Christian who is not meaningfully engaged in a local church or in the work of local church. God did not save us. He did not just save us to himself. He saved us into his people for the purpose of belonging to that people. It's an essential part of the Christian life. Without it, we will be malnourished. Um, Christian Smith is a sociologist out of Notre Dame. 
Um, and he did decades of research on the spiritual life of millennials and uh, Gen Z. Um, he's the one who coined the term moralistic therapeutic deism, if you're familiar with that. And that term was to describe kind of the, the, the religious posture of that generation. Well, the last several years, he's turned his research towards uh, people who were raised in the faith as children, who remained in the faith as adults, which statistically is a low number of people. Most who are raised in church leave in their teens and in their 20s. And so he did his research asking what did those who were raised in faith and stayed in the faith, what was the difference in their life? Do you know the answer? Parents. Uh, Not just any parent, but parents who their faith was real for them in the home. And that came out of their life in the home. And what that meant is their kids watched mom and dad have an honest, real relationship with God within the home. That meant talking about Jesus. That meant reading the Bible together. That meant praying together. That meant it was not just a a, a, a once or twice a year kind of thing, but it was vibrant and it was on display for the children. And that also included, according to the research, that also included active, intentional belonging to a local people of faith, active, intentional belonging with the people of Jesus. Haven't you worried about the state of the world lately? Um, Parents, haven't you worried a bit about the world our kids are growing up in? According to the research, it turns out for all the fear around the world our children are growing up in, the greatest threat to a child's faith is not the influence of a non-Christian culture. The greatest threat to a child's faith is the influence of Christian parents who are apathetic about their Christianity. The greatest help to a child's faith is seeing mom and dad's faith be real for them. The greatest gift you can give your children, parents, is honest, active faith. Now, God has to save, but for your part, you can create a home that invites lasting faith for your kids by owning, being intentional about your life with Jesus, your prayers with Jesus, your conversation, which includes being intentional about being a part of a local church with the people of Jesus, in the church of Jesus. My point in sharing that is this. What the research bears out is what the Bible has already said. We need one another. We need one another. We need a local people in a a local place that Jesus is the leader of to be able to be faithful together, to stay, uh, you know, faithful to Jesus in the work that he's called us to do. The church is essential. It's not supplemental, right? Children need the church. Adults need the church. And when I say church, I do mean the local church. There are things in your Christian life that are supplemental to your growth, that are wonderful, and I would encourage you to participate in them. Things like your favorite Christian author or your favorite podcast or a great devotional blog, those things are wonderful gifts. They are supplemental. They're not the local church. They won't chase you in your sin, hold you in your grief, love you where you are. We will, we will. Not perfectly, but, but we'll try and be faithful to that. Would you, would you friend, would you, Take an honest evaluation of your relationship to the local church and consider whether this is essential for you or supplemental to you. Now, essential does not mean you come to everything. Essential does not mean you're involved in everything. It's a messy season. Again, it's a really complicated season. This looks different for a lot of people. Uh, Being essential maybe means participating online because of COVID and, and being faithful to engage in a way that you're comfortable with 
with where you are. Praise God for that, right? I understand that. Life has been so complicated. Again, there's no desire to pressure or to guilt. The way of Jesus is to win with grace and truth. So maybe the question to ask underneath it is, are you drifting from or are you moving towards? Are you drifting from or are you moving towards? And you apply that within the unique details of your life. Like, are you drifting from or are you moving towards? And then know this, we move towards what we believe to be essential. Can I tell you what I hope happens in this season for us, for some people? Uh, with the renewal, walking through the values, I am hoping that what some among us realize, maybe you're not even here and you're listening to this later, and what you're gonna realize is that while maybe you love it here at Citizens or you love things about our church, that there are also things about our church that make it difficult for you to be involved in a meaningful way. Maybe that's distance, because you live far. Maybe that's our service times. Maybe what would really bless you and your family is a ministry that we don't offer at Citizens. Maybe what would really bless you and your family is a program that we don't have here at Citizens. And so what obedience will look like for you out of a desire to make church essential to your life, obedience will look like you leaving here and finding somewhere closer to you, better for you, finding a different gospel preaching church where the worship isn't as good that will, I'm just kidding. <laughs> finding a different gospel preaching church that will invite or help you be more involved. And if that is an outcome of this, praise God, praise God. We do not care that you are meaningfully involved in this church as much as we care that you are meaningfully involved in a church. And we will miss you if that's what needs to happen, but we will make up for lost time in the new heavens and new earth when Jesus comes back. What drives that truth is that belonging to a local church is essential for anyone who claims Christ. Three, the third distortion is that church is transactional, not formational. Uh, I think this is the parent distortion of all the other distortions because I ultimately think that our consumer-driven, celebrity-oriented culture is most deeply embedded into the way that we think than anything else is. I think before we, are any, before we are taught to be anything else by the world that we live in, we are taught to be consumers first. Uh, Consumer-driven, celebrity-oriented means that we're driven by our desire to consume, to have, to accumulate oriented around the celebrities who are postured for us, who are presented to us as the perceived standard of what we hope our desires can accomplish for us. That's the world we live in. That makes us a transactional people. That makes us a Yelp review leaving people, right? That, that makes us a kind of people that we value, um, we measure value based on if what we give um, has a return on that investment. Like if what we get in return to what we give is, is, is equal or greater to, right? When we apply that thinking to church, it's corrosive. When we apply that thinking to church, it, nothing else threatens the faithful functioning of the church like that does, at least in the world that we live in. When pastors do it, guys like me, they turn church into a business where they offer religious goods to consumers of religious goods and we figure out ways to do church that don't require God or his presence or dependence on him. Or the pastor will try and use their leadership to build a platform that's all about their brand and try to steal spotlight that belongs only to Jesus. What a distortion. The call on the life of the pastor, according to Paul, is to be a servant of Christ and a steward of the mysteries of God, not a peddler of goods and a promoter of self. When people do that, they treat church like another thing to consume and critique 
instead of a place to be changed, a place to belong and become like Jesus. So when we evaluate church, we evaluate if, it, if it's working, we think about is it worth our time? Is it worth like all of the challenges it takes to kind of get here and be involved in the ministries here, right? Uh, or we evaluate if it's a good consumer experience, right? How did it make me feel today? Or in our world where there are so many church options, we often compare churches to one another like we're talking about restaurants. It's a distortion. Church is formational, it's not transactional. Church is formational, not transactional. Church doesn't answer the question, what do I get? It answers the question, who in Christ am I becoming? It doesn't come primarily with expectations to be met. It comes primarily with a heart that desires to change. It does not have self at the center. It dies to self and centers our life on Jesus. We learn to do that together in the church. It's why here at Citizens, we do not measure success by the number of people that we're attracting. We measure faithfulness by the depth of disciples we're making. Because we believe the primary role of the church is formation, becoming like Jesus together. Okay, in all the distortion, how are we to be faithful? In all of that, with the corrosive pressure around us, maybe even within us to approach church with a distorted view, how do we flush that out, right? How do we protect from being a political people who treat church as a supplemental transactional part of life? By remembering our shared values and shared loves. By rallying around the things that ultimately make us who we are. Those are the waters that we look to cleanse, right? Our first value is life in Christ. I only have about five minutes left, so I'll take 10. Life in Christ is life from and with Jesus. It means this is all about him. That's the kind of truth that if it settles over a people and remains with a people, God will over and again cleanse and purify us so that we can be faithful for as many years as he gives us. Look, let's do this. Would you just, Colossians 1, 15 through 20, would you just adore Jesus with me for a few minutes and then we'll be done? It says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. It means that Jesus is the clearest revelation of God. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. If you have a conception of God that is different than how he's revealed himself in Jesus, the conception you have is not God. If Jesus had time for people, God has time for you. If he was gentle and patient with people, then God is gentle and patient with you. He's the image of the invisible God. If Jesus was able to enter into the brokenness and mess of people's lives, God can enter into the brokenness and mess of yours. Jesus reveals God. Jesus is God. That's who he is. 16, for by him all things are created in heaven and on earth, visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. It means he stands above and over and before all power. Everything that is and exists owes its existence to Jesus. Anyone with any amount of power or authority ultimately yields to Jesus. One day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Jesus is in perfect sovereign control over everything happening in the world, including everything happening in your world. And that's hard to believe when the world is filled with chaos, but life in Christ, believing this about Jesus is not being able to see and understand all that is going on, but fixing our eyes on Jesus who knows all and sees all. And when everything else in life is blurry, Jesus never comes out of focus. He is the head of the body, the church. The creator of the world is the leader of the church. He is the head. He's perfect. He's faithful. And if he, the one who is before all things and who holds all things together, if he is the point of the church, that means that church is not temporal, it's eternal. You and I belong to the church of Jesus, and that means we are part of something that will last forever. 
forever. What we do every time we gather is a rehearsal, a foretaste of what will never end. When governments and nations and kings and kingdoms all pass away, the only thing left standing is Christ and his church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Death had a perfect record until Jesus won every battle took life and never gave it back. Then Jesus comes along and the battle changes, the tides turn where death took life and never gave it back. Jesus gave up his life and three days later by the power of God, he takes his life back. He lives again and walks over death's dying body on his way out the tomb. And now death is still fighting, but it's part of a war that it cannot win because Jesus is not the only one to rise again. He's the firstborn from the dead, the firstborn of all those who though they die will live again because they belong to the one who defeated death. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross, the death-defeating risen king who is head of the church and is before all things and who holds all things together is reconciling all things because he made peace through his cross. And that Jesus, right where you are, loves you. He loves you and he forgives you and he welcomes you and he makes peace with you because he took your place and took your sin and took your guilt and covers your shame and he knows your name and he's inviting you to become what you were always meant to be that you had no shot of becoming on your own and he lavishes your life with grace upon grace upon grace and is patient with your failures and is strong in your weakness and will one day present you holy and blameless and beautiful and complete and won't give up on that work in your life because he loves you. This is all about Jesus, life in Christ. What that means, church, is that at Citizens Church, Jesus is the draw. He's the attraction. He's the spectacle. You know, the best thing we have going on here at our church is not a program. It's not an event. It's the presence of the resurrected, exalted, vindicated King Jesus. You know, the greatest compliment anyone could ever pay our church is that we look like Jesus, that the unconditional sin-covering love of Jesus is evident among us. You know, the greatest day in citizens' church history will ever be is the day we stand with all the saints before Jesus. He looks at us and says, well done, and we respond to him. You're worth it all. You're worth it all. That's the dream, church. That's the hope a people holding on to life in Christ, looking to Jesus together. It's been true for two years. I pray it's true for as many years as God gives us together. Father, we love you. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. Your presence and your grace and your love undeniable here. Oh, for more time to recount story together. I think about Psalm 107 when it says, let the redeemed of the Lord tell of your faithfulness. This room is full of those who, if invited, their mouths could spill out your glory and your grace and your truth to us. I thank you for your love. I thank you for this church, God. I pray that you would protect us from the distortions. I pray that you would over and again purify us, that we might be a people with a singular affection for Christ and his kingdom. It's true. 
It's who we are. We love you. Amen.